Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by FreshBooks. They're the easy-to-use invoicing solution that's helping freelancers and small business owners get organized and save time invoicing. You can try FreshBooks for free. Just go to freshbooks.com slash TWIP and enter TWIP in the How Did You Hear About Us section when signing up. Welcome to our 400th episode of This Week in Photo. This is a historic show where we've assembled an all-star and TWIP legendary cast to reminisce about the beginnings of TWIP and some of the news pertinent this week in the photography world. Some of the topics that we're tackling on this show are Google planning to build a modular camera system. Also, the FAA has released a draft of its drone regulations. And finally, a free alternative to Photoshop called Affinity Photo. It's Monday, February 16th, 2015. And this is TWIP. guys welcome back to another episode of this week in photo this is this is a historic episode we've been doing this show you know i'm not all that good at math so i don't want to like break it down but it's been like six years we're like the 400th episode of this show like 400 episodes you got to get your brain around that so it's been 400 episodes since alex Lindsay and scott Bourne sat down and had a baby and it was twip right <laughs> wow and, 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 and i adopted it and i don't like the visual i'm getting on this oh, and before that there was a there was there was there, there was there's really been 400 and points seven five there was like two of them that didn't get quite out the gate i don't want to keep on taking the baby uh metaphor down the right but but there's two of them, like so, so so frederick and and ron and i i think i think we tried like one side didn't record and then one failed completely so it was uh there were a couple there were a couple of false starts before uh before we actually got one out the gate. Yes, there was. I remember all kinds of, I remember being down in LA trying to record this thing with zero bandwidth and it dropping out. And remember, we tried to do the double header thing, which yep. never worked quite right. <laughs> <laughs> For the audience is listening, double header is when you- Double when, ender. ender. Double, sorry, double ender. Yes, yeah, that's a whole different party. So double ender <laughs> is when everybody that's in the show records their their audio and video separately or in the case back then we we're just doing audio just audio yeah record your yeah. audio separately and then one person gets all the audio files and then they assemble it with the theory being you always have the best quality audio you possibly yeah. can the issue is bandwidth logistics and all that other stuff of getting all the files together right now guys was i on the first show because i remember being at macworld and i was sort of minding my own business and somehow i ended up on twip and then the rest was history. Was was that when the first show? I think it. I think it was the first show. Yeah. I think I, I do believe you were in show number show number the official show number one. I think that right. I was. I, I MacWorld had somehow given me a stage you know, to work with. <laughs> right. and, uh, and, you know, and I was I was completely unprepared, so it was like me just kind of like wobbling around. I think, and then I think Scott, I think, talked to you and just said, "Why don't you get you know." Let's collect some people and see if we can go. You know, exactly. who do we know that's a good photographer? <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, no, I, I actually I think it was more of a conversation. Like, there's no photographers on the show. We better get at least one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Photography show. Oh man. <laughs> uh, you know, I can already I can already tell the show's gonna go off the rails, but it's good. I want <laughs> to go completely off the rails. That's the whole point of it. But let's let's uh, keep a little bit of structure in here. I want to go down the list and just sort of find out what you guys have been up to because. I think this is the first time in several years that we've all been in the same room again together. So I want to catch up with you guys, see where you're, where you are, where you're at. And then we'll just kind of dive into the show proper. Let's start with Aaron Mailer. Aaron Mailer, yeah. your historic TWIP alum, you know, back on the show. What, first of all, tell us how you got involved with TWIP to begin with and then what you're up to now. Okay. I started um, actually as a listener through some of Alex's shows as well. And, uh, I fell into uh, writing show notes for Scott Bourne. Uh-huh. And, um, and I think what happened was I, w- I was talking with Alex and Scott kind of with our show note type of stuff for a while. And I had a connection where I got uh, Joe McNally on the show. And uh, it was when I got Joe on the show, I think Alex said, hey, do you want to start producing? So I started kind of doing the producing work behind the scenes for a long time. And then I ended up on an episode here and there. And then I started kind of co-hosting with you guys for a while. And you know, so it just kind of snowballed at that yeah. point. Yeah, um, okay. you know, and, and it worked, right? So what, what do you love to do? What's going on? I know you, last time we chatted, you were like heavy into UAVs, UASs, drones, whatever the poli- politically correct term is. <laughs> um, so a lot of people know if they used to listen to the show when I was more involved back in the day, I'm, I'm probably, I'm the, the not the pro photographer of the group. So I do a lot of freelance work and, and, uh, and things like that. And I've done a lot of work for hire over the years, but my main career is a network guy. So, uh, so I'm actually very much a geek day in and day out uh, for a small college in Virginia. And um, so I'm always kind of pursuing my interests. So drones were definitely a photography thing, but they're also an electronics thing for me. It was just another thing to kind of get my head into. And that's led to getting into small circuit design and, and microelectronics and stuff in the last couple of years too. So just Love. following my interests all the time. And one day I want to see like a picture a of your of your workshop one day because I have a feeling you have like a Tony Stark workshop in the base in the basement there. Uh, I wouldn't put it at Tony Stark levels, but I, I have a lot of fun toys here. Let's put it that way. Love it, love <laughs> it. All right, moving down the line, Mr. Steve Simon. You heard his voice earlier. Hey. Man, hey. you like we said, you got some history with Twip, man. How do, what, yeah, what, that that first yeah. one back at MacWorld, uh, I think it was in black and white. I mean, it was a long time ago, and you know, time goes by, and you know, nobody's changed. Everybody <laughs> looks pretty much the way I, I left them. Yeah. But no, every everything's great. I, you know, the Twip has been such an amazing experience because I remember when I was on more frequently, I was constantly, um, you know, people would come up to me and talk about the show once I was recognized on a plane from my voice I mean you know talk about you know becoming a twip celebrity but it's been a while since I've been been on so it's great to to be back with you guys yeah it is good it's good to have you yeah you have that voice and I remember you telling me about you like there was like a mob of people at one of these shows that was chasing you yelling Steve Simon or something right yes yes exactly that happened you know twice three times a week ripping clothing off and all that yeah exactly now it happens to you, Fred, I'm sure. Doesn't on a daily basis. I don't leave the house. That's, you know, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah. No, right. it's been great. It's been a while. And um, you want to know what I've been up to? Yeah, maybe? absolutely. I've kind of reinvented myself as a street photographer because I've, I've noticed that uh, one of my real weaknesses was that I wasn't shooting enough. And I know that every time I go out to shoot, 
I always come back with stuff. I mean, it's not always five star, but it's new material. And, you know, street photography is what I first got into. And now that I've been doing it again, it's my excuse to go out wherever I am and, and start shooting. So I'm, I'm really starting to get a whole new body of new work. I've got a couple of street photography workshops that I've uh, scheduled for here in New York City in May and June. Probably do a street photography book. And, um, you know, my pick of the week also is going to reflect street photography. So I'm, I'm back on the street, so to speak, with my camera. That's awesome. You can take the boy off the streets, but you can't take the streets out of the boy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You got you to gotta come back on, man, because, you know, we're doing a lot of stuff in the street photography area on this TWIP network thing that evolved, right? So... Well, I'm here. I'm happy to be back anytime, for sure. Love it. Love it. All right, moving down the line there, Mr. Ron Brinkman, the voice from Southern California, probably barefoot right now. What's going on, Ron? <laughs> you know me well. I'm barefoot. <laughs> <laughs> I am wearing pants, though. So. Oh, thank you. We appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, as mentioned, I was not on the first episode of uh, TWIP, but I was on the two before that. And um, yeah, it's been a while though since I've been on. So. I know. I, how did you get involved with the show? Like, did Alex or Scott just call you, or what was the what was the impetus? Honestly, I think you know Alex has been doing a lot of these podcasts, and I think I tell me if this is right, Alex. But I think I dropped you an email saying we should do a photography podcast, and you were like, "I'm already on it." <laughs> <laughs> so that like, well, sounds like Alex. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think the idea was already there, but I just kind of underlined it a little bit, and. Uh, yeah, we tried those first two, and then I was on a lot, especially in the early days. Uh, I was another non-professional photographer, at least not in the true photo sense of the word, although I do a lot of photography-related stuff with other things I'm involved with. Yep, yep. You're the, the, the consummate entrepreneur. You've done apps and all kinds of stuff in the time that yeah, I've known you, right? Yeah, so I'm still spending a lot of time in the app world. Um, we're, we're developing kind of change from doing apps specifically to we're working on some framework tools for other app developers so if anybody's listening is an app developer especially like a photo related app you can touch me because i want to pick some brains and talk to them so. oh i have i have a person that's uh, actually helping with an upcoming twip app so i'll put you in touch with them that's good yeah i definitely want to talk to to people that are doing apps because we're doing some framework tools to make life easier for everybody so, very cool that, well welcome welcome back to the show it's been a long time long time coming yeah all right. And last but not least over there, Mr. Alex Lindsay, the, uh, you know, the man behind planting the seed of TWIP. What's going on, Alex? Oh, I'm, I'm here in, uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, or outside Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I think it's uh, below zero. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is not that in California. I'm just <laughs> my, my, poor, my poor Southern California wife has been, had to relight the pilot three times today. She's not happy with me. <laughs> I'm not laughing, but I am kind of a little bit. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole lot of what did you get me into here, you know? So, uh, but you so, have a lot of you have a lot of snow-covered land, though, right? I, there is a lot of land out here. There's some cold cows. They're very upset about how cold it is here. There's some cats that are upset that it's cold. They're all upset. Everybody's upset. It's really cold. So, uh, how did how did you come up with the idea? You and like what was. The listeners want to know this. I get asked this all the time, and I don't have a good answer for it. Where did Twip come from? Was it just like a lark? Well, well no, there, there was a, you know, we were doing a bunch of different, different shows. We were working on a bunch of different shows. And so, 
you know, I had been involved with this week in photography, or this, I'm sorry, this week in, in tech with Leo mm-hmm. um, since the early days, not since day one. And, and a lot of times I was behind the scenes. So sometimes I was on the show with Leo, um, but a lot of times I was editing, you know, I, I told Leo at one point that I was like, we should do a video version of Twit and, um, and I can shoot it with a bunch of cameras and we'll cut it all together with multicam. It's all, it's all new in Final Cut and I had never done it before and pulled like an all-nighter to cut it all together. And, and before you knew it, we were, you know, doing, you know, some of the audio editing and some of the video for Twit. And so it, it was just something like, I was like, well, this would be great. This format is great, except... Uh, I, I'm more interested in photography, you know, and so so I was interested in in uh, you know really doing the same thing where you're covering um, you know all kinds of things, and we in Twim I, I believe we were already doing this week in media, and um, uh, and so you know I had kind of thought about that that format a fair bit, and I loved the idea of just every week talking about whatever's going on. And, um, and so I think that was it. And then it was just a matter of finding the right people. So I guess, you know, when I talked to you and I, and Ron said, Hey, we should, we should do this. I was like, yes, we should. Mm-hmm. And you'll be on it. You know, you know, I was like, uh, finally found somebody who wants to play, you know? So, so, <laughs> so, so, you know, a lot of times with me, I, uh, as mo- most of you know, I, I'll sit around with a lot of brooming ideas and I'm just kind of waiting for things to pop into place, you know, you yeah. know, so I, I have all these things I want to do and I just wait and wait and wait until all the bits and pieces show up and then I do them. And so I, um, uh, so anyway, so that's, that's kind of how it, um, well, tell us, tell us what you're doing now, because from the outside looking in, and I know you, I mean, I've known you for, you know, a long time now, but from, from the listener or the viewer standpoint, it looks like what is Alex doing? So Alex, <laughs> Alex is on Twit from time to time. He's on Mac break weekly from time to time. He's on this week in photo sometimes. And then he goes away and then he comes back. Like where it's like so, dark matter and dark energy. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm allowed to talk about it a little bit more than I used to be able to. So for a long time, we weren't, you know, we didn't talk much about it. We, uh, you know, a lot of these shows uh, had us get really good at these kind of interactive conversations and how do we tie people together. And back when it was even much harder than it is today, I mean, even the technologies we're using tonight, it's really great. The zoom stuff that we're using. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, but we had been doing live streaming. We've been trying to train, <laughs> trying to train Africans. And so there was a lot of like, how do we train Africans? And we kept on trying to build these technologies. And, and then people started hiring us to do interactive events and, and live streaming. And, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, Google was working on, they had this crazy product called Hangouts and they were trying to figure out how to stream it. And so they asked us to, to do that. You know, if, if we could try try that out, they had a couple of companies try and not do so well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we, uh, so we, we tried it and we didn't totally screw it up. And, um, and they decided, well, they seem to know what they're doing. And, you know, that was three years ago and 800 events ago. And so... Um, but you see you how know. you roll over stuff like that? Just so people can understand. <laughs> so when Alex says we tried it and we didn't screw it up, that means they did something way above and beyond what normal mortals can do. Right. And then you roll over. Yeah. And then you fast forward 800 events later. Right. <laughs> We're not talking little one on one meetings. We're talking full right. on like like any production type things. Right. And, Fred, and Frederick's been on a couple of them. Uh, yeah. yeah, we uh, uh, we've done a couple in the White House, uh, I think. Um, and um, I just got back from Rome where we did one in, uh, in the in the Vatican. And um, and so we've you know been fortunate enough to, to really get a chance to just see work working with you know social media companies especially companies like google what you end up with is just the you know huge imagination and the willingness to do just crazy things and so 
Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and it's just been, it's been, it's been really great. So we, um, you know, we grew Aaron, Aaron gets pulled in, pulled into a lot of shows. <laughs> I, I don't know how Aaron sleeps anymore. Cause he's got his full-time thing. And then they're like, Hey, Aaron, let's come play. You know, you know, so, uh, yeah. so, uh, he plays a lot. Um, and, uh, with, with a lot of the stuff that we're doing and, uh, and Frederick gets pulled in about once a year. Um, yeah. and, uh, and so, um, so anyway, but, uh, but yeah, so that, that's what we're, that's what we're doing. Um, we, uh, in the midst of all these events um, that we're doing, um, we've really figured out some other things around, you know, these kind of virtual discussions and how to, and, and how they might look in the future. And so we're kind of in the process of developing, or I'm in the process of working with a couple partners to develop some software platforms to make them easier as well as um, my, I have a hardware platform that keeps on getting rebuilt and then uh, ripped apart then rebuilt and then ripped apart and rebuilt. And uh, the newest version just got finished right before the show. And it's amazing. Anyway, so it was, it's, it's a like Doc Brown of the internet. You're like, <laughs> oh, you know, you know, it's like, it's like this crazy, you know, it's a, it's all these monitors and wires and rerouting. And so you can sit there and like do like six different things at once. Anyway, it's, it's, um, I'll, I'll show it. We're hopefully going to use it on the, on the Twip network soon. Um, I would love to. Yes. It, it, as soon as, as soon as, it doesn't look quite as crazy as it is right now. Hey, um, I'm all about beta testing, man. So bring it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, so that's what that's what I'm doing, um, and uh, I'm trying to trying to travel a little less, but uh, it's a little crazy. We also, in the meantime, from the time we started Twip to now, we opened a school in Rwanda. So all that trying trying to train in Africa, you know, came to fruition, and, and we've um, got about 150 students in Rwanda and. A, pretty state-of-the-art facility got motion capture and green screen and you know live streaming and you know 40 computers and a bunch of great students and so it's uh, so anyway so I'm, I'm going down back down there uh, in march i go about every eight eight to twelve weeks so um so anyway that's what i'm doing yeah you, you need to start blogging that stuff man so we can keep up with you start <laughs> like a video blog or something I've thought about it. It just, it, you know, the problem is I'm so, I'm, I, I tend to be such a perfectionist. This is what I do. And so every time I, I, uh, every time I go to start shooting video, I'm like, Oh, I don't like it. I got to reshoot it. Yeah, I got to no. do this thing. And you got to let go. Let go of it. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway. so Alex, when you were in the Vatican, you were basically hanging with the Pope. Is that what you're kind of telling us? I, I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't hanging with him for too long, but yeah, I, I got oh. the, uh, but, wow. um, but I did get to shake his hand. Well, he shook my hand, really. So, wow. so, but, uh, but yeah, we were working out of the, um, the Synod, which is the, you know, the uh, kind of the cool, really cool room where they make a lot of stuff. He was talking to uh, kids who are, you can, you can see it on YouTube, but talking to kids okay. who are, um, have uh, a variety of, um, you know, dis disadvantages, whether it's, um, you know, uh, eyesight or hearing or, or other things. And he was just talking about how technology makes a difference. And so he's a pretty cool cool guy it wow. is, it's just insane it is crazy that we are in an age right now where we're talking about doing live streams to the world from the vatican i mean that's just like well and and for me it's exciting because you know the the, the mission statement for the pixel core is a global conversation where no one's left out and so and then that was from day one you know and so for us to get the chance to you know tie all these people together you know whether it's uh, the president or or, or the pope or you know, the space station or, or any of those other things. It's just like, it's fulfilling what we roughly started out to do, which we didn't even know what that was going to look like when it started. So it's, yeah. um, yeah. it's well, exciting. And, and the technology has made it so much easier. I mean, when we were, 
when we started pixel core, we, I remember we did everything in flash because we didn't have enough money to pay for the bandwidth. Like, you know, literally it was like too expensive. If too many people came to watch it, we would go broke, you know, like literally yeah. bankrupt the company. Like we want to be successful, but not too successful. Yeah. And uh, so everything was one meg, you know, and now I look at it now and it's just, you know, just put up HD and four, you know, upload 4k to YouTube and ridiculous. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's pretty exciting. It's, it's an exciting, exciting time to be doing this. Love this stuff. Yeah, it, it, it evolves. Some of that stuff we're going to talk about in the show tonight. Um, before we jump into the show, I want to thank our first sponsor for episode 400 of This Week in Photo, and that's our good friends over at FreshBooks.com. This episode of This Week in Photo is powered by FreshBooks. They're the simple cloud accounting solution that's helping thousands of new entrepreneurs and small business owners save time and get paid faster. So, you know, I've said this on the show before, and, you know, it's not easy running a small business like This Week in Photo. You know, over the time that we've been doing the show, it's grown from just being a little bit of a hobby into being a real business. And, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, and with growth comes a lot of complexity. And I got to tell you, in the beginning, I was kind of a one-man band doing everything in terms of trying to stay on top of accounting and advertisers and, you know, on, the, on my photography business, billing clients and following up on them. And, you know, it just, it, it became more trouble than it was worth, you know, in a lot of ways. And it was, it, you know, part of me was like, you know what, I, I just want to go back to getting a regular job because this stuff is so hard, you know. And then I discovered FreshBooks. You know, it sounds like a commercial, and this is a commercial, but it's true. Then I discovered FreshBooks, and I put all my clients into the system, into their system, which took me no time at all, and started billing through them, started issuing invoices through the system, and it just basically took care of everything. You know, people that I would notoriously have to follow up with multiple times just to get them to pay, they made it simple. They would do handle the billing. They would handle the follow-up emails, whatever terms I'd set. They would adjust the invoice amount after the fact if they missed, you know, the payment. You know, for example, if, you know, the, the, the fee increased by a certain percentage for late payments, they add that on there and bill it. Plus, on the receiving side, they made it easy for folks to pay me. You know, people can pay through PayPal, they can pay with their credit card or whatever. And it all looks, all the invoices look professional. They have my logo at the top of them and everything's all digital. Plus, there's an app and it just, everything just works. So, you know, it it saved me a ton of time. You know, part of their, the FreshBooks tagline is save time and get paid faster, you know, with FreshBooks. And it did exactly that for me. You know, it was, it, it actually, if I was a track it, it resulted in me giving myself a gigantic raise of billings that I could actually use rather than follow up on, you know, aside from pulling out my hair, trying to, uh, trying to track down people. So with the system, you can create invoices online, you can capture and track expenses, you can do this on the go, you can do real-time business reporting with just a few simple clicks, and the coolest thing is you can try them for free. You can sign up today, just head over to freshbooks.com slash twip, that's again freshbooks.com slash twip, and you can join over 5 million users like me that are running their businesses online with ease. 
And here's a quick look at what's happening this week on the TWIP network. Over on Street Focus, Valerie sits down for a chat with street photographer Gail Haliban. And on Your Itinerary with Rob Knight, you can chill with Gary Arndt with a discussion about photography in Antarctica. And over on this week's TWIP webinar, Rob Knight is also on deck with some fantastic training on travel photography. Plus, on All About the Gear, Doug Kay and I sit down to review the Panasonic GM5. And finally, on TWIP Weddings, it's The Price is Right. Get some advice on how to price and package your services. All that and more is happening this week on the TWIP Network. You can subscribe to any or all of our shows over at thisweekinphoto.com slash subscribe. All right, guys, let's jump into the show. This first piece, Alex, I think this is right up your alley, right? So Toshiba revealed its camera modules for the Google Project Era thingamajigger, right? So you know a little bit about this. I mean, you may have even seen this in <laughs> passing somewhere. So Alex, tell us what Project Era is. And I think it's Aura. Um, and, uh, and it is a, it, it's really cool. It's, it's, uh, it's this phone that, that, um, basically instead of, you know, just having an app, it's not only there's an app for that, there's a module for that. <laughs> so, so the phone itself is a, is a platform for which you can put all kinds of, you know, hardware manufacturers can put different pieces of hardware on top of the phone. So you can click things in. So there's certain sized modules that are available and so you can have them all fit together you can have them work together or you can have them work apart like but Legos. like legos it's like legos it's like legos for a phone you know and they and they all click in and uh and it's it's you know again it's i don't know if it's the thing that my parents would use but it's definitely a thing that i would use you know i i am definitely uh very tempted to i mean i can't wait to have one you know i i have to admit the idea of being able to buy and, and for instance this is a good example um is uh, being able to buy a real camera module. Like some people don't need a, you know, real camera module, but I want, you know, I want to see big sensors and, and low light sensitivity. And that's more important to me than my, you know, than, than a lot of other things in my phone. I mean, and I think that, you know, Apple is never going to put a one inch sensor <laughs> you know, into a, into a phone. But I think that we could at some point see that kind of, um, you know, that kind of thing uh, put into something like this where, it makes sense to make these available. I mean, you look at these, these, these aren't these Toshiba uh, chips aren't that big yet, but, but they are uh, head and shoulders over what, you know, what is um, available right now. And so I think that uh, it's a really interesting thing. I don't think it's going to be the majority of the market is ever going to get into it, but I think that there's going to be a very dedicated uh, bunch. And I think that makes a lot of a difference for um, also for business, business, government. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, specialized medical devices, specialized business devices, you know, military op opportunities. There's all kinds of ways that you can integrate this phone in a way that you're just not going to be able to do with a, a standard off-the-shelf phone. It's, it's very yeah, exciting. It's, it's, it's interesting. I don't know. I was looking at this, and I remember you and I talked about it briefly a, a month or so ago. And, you know, I still sit on the fence because half of me is like, you know what? I just need my phone to work. You know, I, mm -hmm. I just need, I want to know it. I want to be able to make a call, take a picture every now and then, send a message, whatever, and then I'm done with it. Like turning on the water in the bathroom, it just needs to work. I don't care how it gets out of there, it just needs to work every time. Mm -hmm. And this, when I saw this, and granted I have not touched this, I haven't played with it, but, but when I saw it I was thinking, this feels complex. It feels like there's a lot of things that could go wrong and it feels like I might, you know, screw something up and I don't know. It just feels like it, it's moving away from being a phone. It, is, am I off base there? Well, I, 
I think it's a platform. It's, it, it is a computing platform. It's a, it's a, you know, I, that's what I would say. It's, I mean, it's, it's a phone. It might make phone calls or something that looks like phone calls. But I think that what's more important is, is that it is a, it is a mobile in your pocket computing platform that is modular and able to do all kinds of different things. And, and that's the way I think of a lot of the stuff that I do now, uh, you know, with my phone, I, I very rarely make phone calls. In fact, I'm kind of annoyed when people call me. Me too. Um, I hate it. Because <laughs> like, I'm usually in the middle it's of something. Rude. Like my, my audible book stops, you know, you know, I'm like, wow, who's calling me right now? And so, so messed up my Amazon instant video stream, man. Come exactly. <laughs> there's very few times. Um, there's very few times I want someone to call. Like if, if and usually, unless it's my wife, they pretty much, I, they pretty much get the, you know, did we schedule this call? Cause I don't yeah. remember scheduling this call, you know, cause Thank there's you. a time for calls and that's when there, it's a schedule for the call, you know? And so, so I do, as we move away from this, this environment where we feel like, um, you know, that, that we can, uh, that that we're using our phone for that. I mean, I use my phone more, much more often for whether it's social media or other things like that. Um, or, you know, all the little tools that I add to it, the photography tools, the map tools, the, all those other things. And, and I think that, you know, a lot of what I use my iPad for is, is not really, you know, it's to integrate it with other systems. And so I think yeah. that this kind of thing, again, small part of the market, 3%, yeah. maybe 5% of the market, but that's yeah. still a big market. It is. This, uh, this idea of the whole modular system, and we've, we've heard about it a lot, uh, you know, in the broader photographic context about the idea of, you know, having your Nikon camera and maybe ultimately being able to switch out the sensor and all that kind of thing. Um, I guess the red platform, I don't know it well, but that's somewhat modular. Uh, do you guys think that there's any kind of a, do you think this idea can, you know, transfer to the more traditional camera platforms or is there, it's just not a good marketing I business? Hope so, Steve, I hope so. Cause I'm, I'm, this is like far left in terms of like the, like the Lego kind of metaphor. What I would like to see is, a Nikon, a Canon, a Olympus, a Panasonic, whatever camera where I can just slap my eye, like Alex was talking about years ago, being able to just slide my iPhone into it and it becomes the brains of this shell of a camera. The camera, the manufacturer handles what they do best, which is optics and all that cool stuff and the sensor. And then the, my phone becomes the brain of the camera and I can install apps and do all that stuff. That's what yeah. I want. So, but Frederick, we've, we've definitely been talking about this for a long time, right? Yeah. You can buy it now. There, I mean, Sony's it's got Android one. though. <laughs> no, I think you can clip that Sony one onto your, uh, onto your iPhone too. It's you? a lens. Yeah. It's, it's a big, yeah, the big lens. lens. Camera, it's yeah. a lens plus a sensor, but that's what we've been talking about, right? Yeah, on. kind of, but that, the Sony thing is a bit it. of a kludge though. I mean, it's like, yeah. you know. It's yeah, like I mean, the, the problem is on the turtle, you know? I don't yeah, know. well, and, and, and I have it. I have that lens. <laughs> of course, I, of course I bought it immediately. I was like, I got to have this. <laughs> yeah. It's finally happening. And then I got it. And it's funky. It's slow. It's kludgy. It's not, you know, like you want it to be a real video. Like I, I wanted to have a hardware interaction with my phone where I'm getting, you know, real time video with no lag, with no, you know, and, and, and I, and I'm be able to record it to my phone or, or, or stream it if I wanted to, or whatever I want to do. So I feel like, you know, I, I think Sony kind of played with it down the road and I, and I love the idea because you really, what was like, all I need is the lens and the sensor, but, but it turned out that I need the lens and the sensor and a little bit, little, little bit of performance. And I think yeah. that, yeah. Um, one of the things that I think for a lot of these companies that is really missing is opening up the, you know, the, the API, you know, like really saying, okay, here's the deal. You can just, you can, we're going to give you controls over the camera, not every little bit down to the BIOS, but 
we're going to give you all the things that you would see in a menu as a programmer. And we're going to let you write apps on Android or iPhone that will activate that in the, in your video camera or in your still camera. And that would revolutionize a lot of this. And a lot of the, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, what they think is that their interface is what makes the difference. And it's really their interface that it's in spite of their interface that we use their camera because yeah. almost, you know, I don't care whether it's Canon or Nikon or whatever. These are horrible. Like who thought of this? You're like, yeah. what is, what are they thinking? You know? And, and so the, the thing is, is it would be great just to let that go and let iPhone, you know, like iPhone develop, you know, iOS developers and Android developers develop great interfaces for their phone and, and you know, that, that I could theoretically hook a lightning and then hook it into the phone and, and run it or run it wirelessly. But I want that more for video, I have to admit, than, than even for stills of being able to shade my cameras and do all the right. other stuff with my iPhone. But then, but then that, yeah, but like you said, if the API is open, you could theoretically create yeah. the perfect camera for the person that leans towards video, whereas Aaron could create the perfect camera setup for the person that's doing drone stuff or whatever, right? So Aaron, Aaron tell us what, what you think about this. So looking at this modular Optimus Prime kind of phone <laughs> thing, is this something that would appeal to you? Yeah, you guys are, are, are hitting on one of the primary things I was thinking about when I first saw this project. I'm less interested in adding other sensors to my phone. I'm curious to know whether the development work that's going to go on there is going to lead to applications and a platform which might start moving in the other direction and might start attaching this platform to higher-end cameras, to, you know, to mirrorless cameras, large sensor devices, so on and so forth. But I just want to know whether there's any chance that they'll, they'll do enough development, they'll make great enough apps kind of in that phone environment that it's going to compel the higher end camera makers to pull it away from the phone and pull that platform into building this modular camera market that we've all been talking about. And when you go back to like the old Nikon F, it was completely modular. Not only are the lenses interchangeable, but the finders, yeah. the screens. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. you know, there were no sensors in those days, but the idea of building a modular system, you know, it, it does sound kind of appealing to us. If we want huge high definition big large megapixel sensor you know we can click it in or if we don't need it if we want speed i mean who knows i mean it, it could be a a, a great idea mm -hmm. I, I think it, it could be a crazy horse of sorts yeah i wonder i mean looking at this thing or this is i'm showing right now on the screen for the the folks that are watching this the uh i'm at uh, petapixel's website and this is the the article that we're referring to but this is the the toshiba module for this thing and, and it's the camera module that Alex was talking about. So Alex, what I would like to see is a future iPhone, maybe iPhone 10 or something that allows me to pop out the camera module, slide it out like a little SD card and slide in a new camera. You think that might ever happen? Not for an iPhone. <laughs> It'll be whatever Damn Apple decides and makes the most sense. Yeah, what, what's to stop you from providing a phone like this, but it doesn't have to replace the existing one. It just, you know, either Bluetooth over to it or, or hooks into the lightning port or something like that. I think that's more, you know, I, I think a phone as a device needs to be a, an integrated unit and then make these add-on stuff that don't need a special Well, The, the problem with the Bluetooth thing is, it, you know, back to the conversation about the Sony lens camera, it's a great idea, but when you, when you have that lens camera and your phone and that's the only thing you have with you and something significant happens across the street and you want to take a picture, you're like three minutes trying to get that thing snapped on your camera and synced and paired to, before you get the shot, whereas Steve would whip out his DSLR and get the shot and keep driving, you know? So it's got to be that kind of level of, of speed, and I don't, I don't see that with lens camera type technology. 
Yeah, but you know, to, to take it the other, uh, another example, I had to shoot some like time-lapse stuff. I had like a mouse in the house and I was trying to get a picture of this damn mouse that was coming out of my house in the middle of the night. And I'm like, all right, what, what scenario do I have? What tools do I have for shooting time-lapse every 10 seconds to see what this mouse is doing on the uh, kitchen counter? And I was like, okay, I know my, uh, my uh, Olympus OMD has a Wi-Fi connection and I can do that. And I'm thinking about setting it up and I can get some something to control that. I'm like, oh yeah, but then the battery's going to die after, you know, there was just all kinds of limitations. And I ended up just pulling my old iPhone 4S and tethering it to a wall work to have USB power and just letting it go. And there was a dozen apps I could use for it and it worked great. Yeah. So I, you know, I, and I, did I, you get the mouse? Is, I, <laughs> I got a great picture of the mouse too. There we go. <laughs> cute, cute little guy that my wife then said, no, you can't put a mouse trap out. We need a humane trap. So now we're working on those. But yeah. <laughs> A humane trap like rat poison or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but humane would be fast acting rat poison. Uh, <laughs> if if my, my dear little kitty cat hadn't been hit by a car a few months back. Oh, then, oh sorry. So, oh. <laughs> sorry. Care of it, but, yeah. Well, no, I hear you. I hear you. Well, yeah. I mean, this is interesting, you know. And and Alex, Alex, dude, you called it what five plus years ago that this stuff was going to start coming to fruition. We saw it first with the Sony camera, and now Google with Project. What? How do you pronounce it? Ara, Ara. So, Ara, yeah. Project Ara is here or being developed, and you know, presumably a bunch of other things that we don't even know about. So, again. Every, almost every show, I feel like I say this, this is a really exciting time to be a photographer because all this cool stuff keeps popping out and it doesn't show any signs of going away. Well, so, I, think it, I, I think it's hard. I think it's also, you know, exciting times. And I think sometimes it can be seen as exciting times like in the Chinese curse, you know, may you live in exciting times. I mean, I think that if you're a, if you're a professional photographer, I think there's a lot of challenges right now. I think that, you know, figuring out exactly what that looks like, um, you know, I think that, the way people made money, we were talking about this the last time I think I was on Twip, was that I got a lot of feedback on that, by the way. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> when we were talking about photojournalism, and I was like, oh, you know, I don't think oh, it's... Oh, yeah, I remember that. Itself, my, I guess my argument was, is by itself, it wasn't a viable you know, industry for most people, unless you're in the very, 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 very top of what you're doing. Um, because I think that really people are looking for journalists who can write and shoot video and take pictures. I mean, that's kind of the the next generation of, of what these things are. So it's exciting for those folks. And so this is democratized the ability to take all these photos. It doesn't make necessarily make people better, but over, but when you have a lot more people doing it, I, I went through graphic design where I was getting paid, you know, $3 and 50 cents an hour to, to do uh, design work for a large <laughs> network. And, yeah. um, and uh, you know, it was horrible. I did a lot of horrible work on Photoshop and, and PageMaker and, and Quark. And, um, uh, but you know, I got better. And, uh, and a lot of people did, you know, and, and I think that that, and, and it created a new industry. And I think that that's what we're kind of in this kind of uh, crazy moment is when we go from the big houses to just everybody being able to do it. Yeah. Democratization. So speaking, that's a perfect segue, Alex, is I want to talk about, you know, speaking of new industry industries that are changing things, the FAA has released a draft of its drone regulations. This story comes to us through Aaron Mailer via our friends at Petapixel. <laughs> so Aaron, tell us about this. So we've been talking about drones, UAVs, UASs, whatever is the flavor of the week to call these things that you fly around and take pictures from above with. But it's, you know, one of the questions that has been floating around is, okay, is the FAA going to come in and regulate and squash the, com the complete industry? Or are they going to 
foster you know the the advancement of this industry or what's going on and it looks from this article that we've read and and from the main rules that they that the FAA has proposed so far it looks like they're getting behind us and mm -hmm. hopefully pushing this forward or maybe it's a Trojan horse I don't know what do you think I think uh, based on the speculation we were hearing last year, um, it's looking a lot less onerous than we kind of anticipated. Yeah. Um, and I'll be perfectly honest with you, as, as much as I've been tinkering and building and experimenting with it, I have done virtually nothing commercial with it because for a couple of years now, the FAA has made it, it's been so complicated to know whether you could work legally in the process. Um, you know, people are getting sued almost randomly for purpose of drones, yet you see a tremendous amount of commercial use regardless. Yeah. See companies like DJI and all selling systems exactly for that purpose. So I see so, it in movies all the time. I see drone aerials in movies with the shadow of the drone in the shot. You know, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I've, I've seen some really stupid stuff done with drones too, in terms yeah. of flying them over crowds and concerts. And, and I've seen yeah. plenty of accidents that, that also kind of had me putting the brakes on, you know, being very aggressive with, with my equipment. So um, I, my concern was that it was going to be extremely kind of an onerous rule set. And, in reality, this draft that's come out is sounding relatively balanced uh, for the most part. Um, uh, line of sight is the one thing that's a little irritating to some of us, especially if we've been building out, um, you know, systems for doing um, uh, remote, you know, uh, visualization or, or seeing from from a drone's eye view, essentially, uh, with with uh, off, you know, with uh, monitors and, and head-mounted displays and so on. Um, they are saying that it's going to have to be completely within the line of sight of the of the pilot. So. A little frustrating there, maybe, yeah. um, but uh, and they're also talking about some licensing requirements. Uh, but they initially, the speculation was they were talking about full pilot style licenses was was just a crazy idea for anybody who would be flying drones. I mean, that just would have killed the market for the vast majority of people right there. Yeah. But now they're talking about a far more sensible kind of testing process and renewal every couple of years. The price on that might not be that great, and and I think that would lead to some some far more safe operation and separate playing from being far more serious and more safe with the equipment so yeah yeah it's, i mean it's crazy i mean steve one of the rules in here uh and i thought about you when i read this was no flying over people so basically this means that you can't fly this in new york city you could not no. you own a drone in new york right well i mean that 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 you know, it really doesn't surprise me. I mean, the idea of uh, using this technology, obviously, you know, when Aaron mentioned a, a full kind of license testing thing, I mean, yeah, these things are potentially dangerous. And I was actually uh, surprised to see how kind of open those rules were. But I'll throw it out there to you guys. I mean, the first sort of bad thing that happens that becomes a big news story, do you think that the FAA is going to just sort of tighten things up? I mean, that's, well, that's what they're that's doing kind of, now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, fair enough. Yeah, there it is right there. They dropped a, Someone dropped a drone into the backyard of the White House, and here we have the rules. Yeah, fair enough. Exactly, fair enough. Exactly, but I mean, exactly the fact is, players. when someone gets killed by one of these things, or, or if this thing really starts to, um, you know, there, there's an accident where there's, uh, you know, some people are injured. I mean, that's when I think there's going to be an outcry to say, hey, we got to shut this down to, to a large extent. I, I hope it doesn't happen that way, of course, but, but it seems to me that, you know, it's almost inevitable that something bad might happen. You get enough people getting involved with this and not everyone is going to be as responsible as they need to be. Yeah. I mean, the only, the only way that something bad could happen as a result of these UAVs is if humans are involved. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, 
Right. Exactly. So that's, that's the only way. And, you know, because it's Steve, like you said, what's going to happen is we're going to have some person like the shoe bomber, right? That's going to do something stupid with a drone and then drones are suddenly going to be seen as evil or vilified. Yeah, but I'm not even talking, you know, the terrorist kind of thing. I'm just talking yeah. about people using this stuff, hobbyists and, you know, not paying attention and flying it over and someone gets hurt and then, you know, everybody is, suffers because of it. And yeah. I yeah. hope it doesn't happen, but you know. I don't know. Ron, Ron, what do you, where do you fall on this? I mean, are you, are you considering getting one of these things as I am? I'm, I've been considering yeah. one for a year and yeah, it's. Well, I actually have one of the, the old, the little parrot drones, which is sort of the entry, entry model. Kind that of doesn't like, count. Helicopter blades and give you an owie if it were to hit you. Yeah. Um, You'd be like, what was yeah. that? Does it fly? <laughs> but no, I've been, I've been actually working with some, some buddies that are doing much, much, much larger drones, fixed wing, not, not little helicopters, but little fixed wing drones. Oh, geez. Yeah. And the, um, you know, the interesting thing there is, is definitely, uh, the thing that was interesting out of this, this latest uh, FAA thing is definitely the question of whether you have to do line of sight or not, because that sort of limits the utility of a lot of things that you can do with that so that was the big one that kept coming up is you know what's the when are they going to get to where the line of sight limitation can be modified but i think you know there's going to be a whole lot of regulations and then there's going to be a whole lot of changes to those regulations and hopefully it's going to emerge with there's going to be some kind of licensing that's needed i don't have a problem with that for most of these you know larger ones and some common sense rules with some probable exemptions you can get if you're you get a permit for it you know it, it'll work itself out yeah. Well, you know, I ultimately, so. I think that the the utility of these is just huge. The the, the number of things that you can do with them, we're not even no. scratching the surface. Yeah. I mean, in, in the summertime in New York City, I sort of have to look up and make sure air conditions are not falling from the apartment buildings to you know yeah. kill me on the head. Yeah. Now, you know, the drone thing is going to be the next thing that the neurotic New Yorker is going to have to worry about. I guess. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, if we if you look at where just military drone technology is, you know, to the, extent, to the extent that we know about what they can do and what we know about what these consumer drones can do, like the DJI Inspire and you know, the, and you look at these YouTube videos with synchronized drone flight with these dozens of drones flying together in perfect synchronization. And we're only in 2015, you know, I'm thinking, what's going to happen by like 2020, you know, when, when these things are pushed to the nth degree and everyone's wearing Apple watches and Google watches and it's just crazy where this stuff well, can go. And I think some of the stuff that we've seen with uh, some of the most innovative things, I mean, and I have a DJI Phantom um, that I've been just starting to play with and everything else. So hopefully I'll be able to post some videos soon of, of my, you know, my backyard. But, uh, um, but part of why I was excited about moving back out to Pennsylvania was I was in the middle of nowhere. I didn't want to hit anybody with it. You know, I just, you know, I, uh, I had a parrot and I wrecked it, like destroyed it in literally like half an hour. <laughs> so I was like, so I, I definitely grew to have that very deep understanding of like, oh, I gotta be careful with the drone. Yeah. But I think that one of the things I think is, is, you know, take selfies to a whole other level, all these drones that will, will follow you around. So yeah. you have a tracker on you that the drone knows, look at the tracker. And so the drone is following you around while you're biking or you're out with your friends or you're running and there's a drone like taking a movie of it, you know, you know, but, yeah. but from air it is aerial view. And I, 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 and I, I saw that at last at the last CES and I know that was ingenious, you yeah. know, just that Ghost, you could have. Ghost Drone is the, is one of the company that's doing that and we're bringing them on TWIP soon. 
Um, and they're, I think they're, they're, I think they're based out of China, but they have an office here in the Bay Area. And that's exactly what they do. They hone in on your cell phone location and right. you launch this drone and it, it essentially follows you. And they called it ghost drone. I think I was telling them, I was talking to them on the phone. I was like, you guys should have called this stalker drone because it just follows, <laughs> <laughs> it follows you around all the time. You know? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So I, but I think it's just, that, you know, there's a whole interesting, and I think, you know, we're going to take part of what I'm doing is, is, you know, testing all the stuff so that I can take it, of course, to, to Africa. And, um, there's all these shots of, you know, safari and, and waterfalls and all kinds of other stuff that, that you just, you're going to be able to get a whole other view of, of what's there. And people are already doing those things. I, I think that the most amazing drone footage I've seen to date is the, uh, the drone footage of the fireworks, mm, you know, where someone yeah. put their drone. And I know a lot of people got upset that it was very dangerous and everything else, but Oh my gosh. That's I mean, it was just like, it was this whole other view of what fireworks look like. It was yeah. just, I thought, I, just, I thought it was just stunning, you know? Um, so anyway, I think that those are the kind of things. And, and I think that, you know, that's what we're seeing with photography in general, whether it's drones, whether it's, and all that technology, by the way, of course, goes to stabilization. So all these drones have all these, um, you know, they have all the stabilization. I have a, a little handheld thing that you put your GoPro on and it's got, um, and it's got these three little gyros on it. And so I can run behind my kids and get this perfectly smooth, you know, and, and so all this technology isn't just drones. It's in, it's in the Ronin, which can hold red cameras. It's in these little $300 handheld things for your iPhone. All of these things are, are, you know, changing the way we shoot. But I think that whether it's slow motion, 240 frames on your iPhone, stop, you know, time-lapse where you're, you know, condensing time and then all these crazy places you can put cameras, you just get, pretty exciting you know different set of views yeah. of, of the world it's another I mean, just tool. on a slight tangent i mean you know from a safety perspective you probably saw that selfie sticks are now banned from all these museums yeah. in new york city and all this oh my gosh stick. Yeah, this, is the year. this is the year of the selfie stick At, in rome in rome oh. they're wandering around in rome they're just wandering around there's guys just wandering <laughs> everywhere with selfie sticks i mean it was just crazy it was just these, these guys it was like the new um umbrella you know and, and we were talking about it what you really need is an umbrella with a selfie stick and then you'd be, <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd be set but but it was it, they were everywhere it was there'd be a hundred selfie scripts selfie sticks per block and people and people were using them oh. and they had they had the low tech ones that just held your camera, but then they had the high tech ones with the little goes into the headphone thing with a little button at the bottom. So you can push oh, it out. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. I mean, they're, they're banned from a number of museums in New York and Boston, et cetera. And, you know, partly they're talking about safety among the patrons and also the arts, you know, getting somehow, I mean, if, if that kind of uh, uh, discretion is placed on a selfie stick, you know, the drone thing, I mean, you know, there's a lot more potential danger with those things. I'm thinking, I'm thinking a drone through MoMA right now. I mean, I think that is, that is, a <laughs> that, would be, that would be totally cool. Uh, I like to see that video. Yeah. Know, there's a cool uses of drones. Like what I, I was talking to, to Eric Chang, he's uh, over at DJI the other day and we were just, I was, I was telling him not that he was listening, but I was like, this is what I want. You know, I want a drone that I can mount an industrial drone. I can mount to the side of my house. And when I travel, like I'm going to Washington, D.C., and I have my phone, I want to be able to deploy my drone to do a security flyover around the perimeter of my house <laughs> and then land again and then seal itself up and then tell, you know, so I can see. Or if something happens, you know, somebody's trying to break in or on my property, I want the drone to deploy itself and shine a light on them. <laughs> 
I love it. I'm, I'm just disappointed. It's only, you have 10 seconds to comply. I'm just, I'm, I'm disappointed that it's only a flashlight. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I just be like, you know, you know, like, you know, this is, I'm going to give you a little ISIS treatment right now. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Taser industry and drone industry. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's a video. Yeah, that's yeah. a video. Taser, taser, a taser armed drone would be. <laughs> Yeah. In your email to Alex Lindsay. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. So for the folks that are listening, just a, I'm going to run down um, just the highlights of some of the main rules from the FAA that they pro- that they proposed. So first one: line of sight. A small UAS operator must always see and avoid manned aircraft. <laughs> okay, obvious. If there's a risk of collision, the UAS operator must be the first to to maneuver away. Okay. Safety first is the second one. The operator must discontinue the flight when continuing would, pro- would pro- pose a hazard to other aircraft, people, or property. Emergency awareness. A small UAS operator must assess weather conditions, airspace restrictions, and local or the location of people to lessen the risks if he or she loses control of the UAS. This is Steve Simons, this next one. No flying over people. A small UAS and it says a small UAS may not fly over people except those directly involved with the flight. Does that mean a large UAS can fly? Over? <laughs> it should be a different licensing. You know, I bet you that. I bet you what that is is it's. I bet you that's going to be a licensing thing. So if you're a hobbyist, yeah. you can't do it. And if you're if you get a permit and go through flight, you know, flight training and have a large UA, UAS, you can do it. Yeah. Uh, the next one is uh, altitude and speed. Flight should be limited to 500 feet altitude and no faster than 100 miles per hour. And then the last one is restricted access. Operators must stay out of airport flight paths and restricted airspace areas and obey any FAA temporary flight restrictions, AKA TFRs. So, and, and I know DJI, speaking with DJI, right after that, Alex, right after that, uh, that White House thing, they updated the firmware on all DJI aircraft or UAVs to rest- automatically restrict airspace. So if you have a UAV and you live next to an airport, you're not flying. It just doesn't work. It won't take off. It'll just fly. Well, I was amazed fly. at how quickly they did that. Like they might have been thinking about that for just a little while. Like yeah. mm, maybe we should like, maybe we should hey, Bob, push out that firmware update real quick. <laughs> <laughs> they pushed that too fast though because they had bugs with it and had to retract it. Oh, they did. It's not yeah. there. What happened? Yeah. They, they were having problems with the, uh, from what I understand anyway, I think they had to retract the firmware because it caused problems with people launching drones in areas well beyond that range, among other issues. This person lives in a house that's white. It's a white house. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's a GPS bubble. They can put a bubble around areas and just yeah. program that, right? A- Alex, I just have to say that anytime somebody, you know, says things like uh, stun gun mounted drone, I have to Google it. And I just have to read the headline of, Intern shot with 80,000 volt drone mounted stun gun. <laughs> <laughs> and all I have to say is awesome. awesome. Uh, the company you're you interning for asks you to volunteer to be the test dummy for a prototype stun gun drone. You can say no. Oh, you know, you know, there was well, a big discussion. Be a cool security system though around your house. I mean, come on. Yeah. That would, that would be brilliant. I want, and I want that on my car, too. So if somebody tries to break into the car, it just deploys and, you know, does its thing. Perfect. Perfect. Yep. 
All right, guys, let's move on to story number three. This is about a company called Affinity Photo. They've offered um, and afford, they're offering an affordable alternative to Photoshop. So you folks that have been crying foul against Adobe and their creative cloud subscription model, uh, this, this company has created something that's going to be, that they're saying is going to be kind of like Photoshop. And quote, they say, Serif, which is company, touts the product as the fastest, smoothest, most precise professional image editing software for Mac. That's it's a pretty nice. strong, <laughs> that's a pretty <laughs> strong statement there. So it's I want to, nice. I want to have you guys chime in. Aaron, why don't, you, why don't you just take this first? You saw, I'm sure you went to the page. You saw what they have to do or what they're, they're putting out there. Is it, is it like the end all be all? Is this the Photoshop killer? I, I have to be honest with you. I've had very little time to play with it. So I, I will say from what I have done with it, it looks very nice. It really does, especially for something that's currently in beta. Um, yeah. But uh, I don't have enough hands-on time really to... to I agree, though. I, uh, I, t I downloaded it and played with it a little bit um, the other day, and I'm impressed. It's, uh, they've got a lot of stuff in there. They're, they're being really smart about what it does. Mm -hmm. they, uh, you know, I think most professionals who use Photoshop definitely have sort of a love-hate relationship with it. It's, it's a very powerful tool that feels like it it is, which was designed, you know, from a user interface perspective 20 years ago or something. Yeah. And um, I mean, my only complaint about, about this uh, uh, affinity stuff is that in some ways I think they didn't go far enough away from the Photoshop paradigm. There's still too many things that require you to think like Photoshop does, but you know, they've, uh, they've done a pretty good job with kind of modernizing and getting at least a little bit more consistency in terms of how it works, you know, yeah. Photoshop really feels like there's things just kind of bolted on here and there. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty impressed with it. So yeah, I, I say good for them. I mean, it looks pretty impressive from the little that I've seen seen it. I mean, Photoshop is as deep as an ocean. I mean, it's really not for most photographers. It's way too much for most yeah, photographers, which is why I guess people went to Lightroom and Aperture. But uh, this thing looks pretty impressive, and I say, you know, it's it's great to see some competition. It's almost surprising because you know. Adobe and Photoshop is this behemoth that you know started it all, and it's amazing to see that a smaller company can come up with uh, software like this uh, in a relatively short time. But Steve, this sounds good, but in practice, right? So I think it looks amazing too, and I want to play with it. I haven't had a chance to play with it either, Aaron. But looking at it, I'm like, okay, I want to dive in and see what it can do. But what it comes down to, Steve, like if you go, you go on one of your trips, you're you're going to Dubai or Africa or someplace that you travel to and you come back with a bunch of images, are you confident that you could put them in this app and do the gig? In other words, can you forsake Photoshop? Or are you gonna be like, you know what, screw this, I gotta go back to Photoshop because I got stuff to do. Well, to be honest, I mean, I rarely use Photoshop. I use Photoshop, you know, for selected situations after I've edited my, my work and, and processed it. Uh, you know, when you have that five-star image that you're gonna bring to a client, you wanna see maybe, what it can, you know, how, if you can make it 10% better outside of Lightroom or Aperture using Photoshop. Um, you know, so for me, and I think for a lot of photographers, with the volume of work they're doing, um, this, from what I can tell, is not necessarily your, your first go-to place. Yeah. But if you want to use it as an external editor and it's sim simplified compared to uh, Photoshop and, you know, gets the job done, I, I say, why not? Why not? Well, and, 
And I, and I've, and I, I downloaded it and, and I've been doing this stuff. I probably use, I, I use Photoshop for something probably almost every day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so, uh, what I started doing was, okay, you know, when I had time I'm do it for every single thing, but for a lot of things I'm doing every day, uh, I go into affinity first. So I just open it up. Okay. Here's what I want to do. Can I do it? <laughs> you, know, you know, and I go in there and I, and, um, and about half the time right now I'm, you know, and it's maybe, it may be just me learning, you know, what those things are about half the time I go, Oh yeah, I, I was able to do that. It was really fast. And I, and I will say the things that I can do in affinity, I can do really, really quickly, but I can also do that in Pixelmator. You know, those are, you know, a lot of these things, you know, that they're using the GPU, they're using a lot of the other things. There's, I think that the interface on affinity bothers me less than, than Pixelmator. Pixelmator, you know, I feel like I'm like working with little cartoons, you know, it's like a little, with the, it's a little toyish. Yeah. And, and, um, and so, uh, and there's little bits and pieces, but things like, for instance, I could not figure out how to duplicate an alpha channel. you like, I was just like, I don't understand why this isn't working. You know, or, like, or, 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 you know, take a chan- you know, channel out or something like that. I, I like, I just couldn't quite, I wanted to extract a, you know, a logo from something. And I know how to do that very, very quickly in Photoshop. It's like 30 seconds, you know, to yeah. pull something and out. And that's, that's where Adobe, I mean, that's, well, that, but I don't that know. learned but behavior is part it's of learned behavior for us. I mean, I've been using it since 1991. So, you know, or 1992. So, so the yeah. thing is, is that it's not, it's learned behavior for me, but, but I don't know if the, if a new person coming in wouldn't just find affinity just as easy or easier right. to use. I, I think so. that, but I think that there's deep things that a lot of us know how to do that, you still hit your wall and I go, okay, I'm going to go back to, and I'll, I'll come back to affinity and try to figure out how I would do that. But it does have some kind of wonky, you know, some wonky ways it's handling copying and channels and stuff like that, that, that I, I don't know how much that affects everyone. I use them so deeply all the time that it affects me a lot. Right. I'm not sure if it affects everybody. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I am a little disappointed that they, they didn't go even further with kind of trying to come up with some new, I mean, you know, Alex, you know, we, we want node views at some level, right? We want to. We had talked about, like when we were building Conduit, there was definitely a, a discussion about whether we could push Conduit towards a Photoshop type mm-hmm. thing. Because what you want is that non-destructive editing that you would see yeah. in Shake or, or Conduit. Non-linear and the ability to pipe channels in and out at will and all that kind of stuff. There was a really cool project. I don't know if you ever saw it, Alex, called Naked Light. No. Um, you should look it up. It's, I think it's just naked.la. Mm-hmm. And um, which is a great URL. It has <laughs> strange overtones, but there's a lot of people that go to it and they're very yeah, disappointed. Exactly. They're like, "This is not at all what I expected." <laughs> it's like not what I signed of, up for. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like it kind of died on the vine. But it was, it was. I was really optimistic that they were going to kind of crack this, you know, as powerful as Photoshop, but a different paradigm that actually ends up making it more powerful. And uh, I still think there's room for that out there somewhere. I would love to see somebody do it. Yeah. yeah, I think that the hard part was is that there are things, what we really found that was difficult when we were dealing with nodal compositing and um, in images, there were things that you didn't, that didn't work as well in nodal compositing. Yep. And there were things that worked, you know, in, in trying to get those two worlds of image editing and nodal compositing together, mm-hmm. uh, we found very hard to architect. You know, I think uh, that's the hard part is that that was the thing that kind of twisted our brain is that you, you really had to create places where you would flatten the image into a node where it was going to, you know, you're going to go into this area and you're not going to, it's going to go into this node and it's going to come out of this node. And inside of that, it's just going to be pixel processing. 
and then we're going to go, you know, or, or we're going to, you know, do stuff with paintbrushes. And then, yeah. and then it's going to come out the other end. You, yeah, you're you're Ron turning and, into Neo, Alex. You need to tell us. Yeah. What, uh, what yeah, like Ron and Alex, you know, you're talking about all that stuff. <laughs> I think that most of us uh, probably don't have to get, go as, I, I mean, we know you, your background and, and all that. But I think for the average photographer, they're probably not going anywhere near as deep in terms right. of no, but I, I, just, I disagree because I think that this weird stuff that you're doing in Photoshop, where you're copying alpha channels or you're doing layers and painting through and all that kind of stuff see it's the same process it's just the interface in photoshop is actually kind of weird and inconsistent and yeah. there are ways that you know we're accustomed to doing film effects that are just much more once you understand the basic concept they're much more self-consistent across a whole range of things that you want to do so i don't think it's anything that you're not you, you mm. don't already do in photoshop it's just a different way of well and and, and and what, what i i teach kids uh, how to do visual effects and <laughs> The one thing that is absolute is that it is way easier to teach kids how to use Shake or Nuke or or Conduit than it is to teach them how to use After Effects. Mm. <laughs> like, like you know, because because you know, you, you, when they they can see the whole thing. Like, we we yeah. can sit there and I, I, it's much easier. If you give me a twelve year old who's never done anything, and they and, and I sit there and show nodes. Okay, we're going to do this, then we're going to do this because we draw it on the board. Like, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to take this and we're going to remove this, and and you see it the whole time. And if you want to change it, you change it. You know, you're not you don't have to like figure out uh, how do I back up six steps and then go back forward six steps. You just change a little line from here to there and they completely get it. And, and, uh, adults have a harder time. Anyone who's done Photoshop or after effects have a hard time with it, but anyone who's not done it, nodal compositing makes way more sense. I want to, I want to put this out to you guys. So what do you, it's, it feels like we are at the nexus of the perfect storm for a new player in the industry, right? So we've had Apple, making the decision and I don't have any insider knowledge, but it feels like they're making the decision to move their photography efforts more in the direction of the consumer. They've killed off aperture or are killing off aperture. And they've, they've announced that the photos app is going to be more iPhoto like and more consumer focused with no mention of any sort of pro app. We've got Adobe, which like we've said in the show is getting a little long in the tooth and Photoshop is feeling a little bit sort of, if you live in the, the South Bay in the Bay Area, feel a little bit like the Winchester Mystery House. You know, it's a it's this structure that has been bolted onto over the years. So you end up with this monstrosity that serves no one perfectly, but serves everybody okay. So is it time now for is this like the perfect storm for a startup to come in there and say, All right, we've looked at Adobe, we've looked at Google, we've looked at you know, all these other guys, and this is how we think 2015 going forward should be for image editing. Alex, what do you think? Well, I think that we're seeing that. I think with Pixelmator, with Affinity, with, you know, I, I think that what we are, we're definitely seeing entrepreneurs. I mean, Pixelmator has made a lot of money. I mean, these guys are not, you know, they are, they are a successful, <laughs> very, very successful company um, yeah. already doing yeah. what they're doing. So, so they are, that's how you start. That's how you begin. And, and, and they've done a lot of things right. There's things that, you know, as a, as a person who's used Photoshop all the time you know, that, that I'm not really totally into, but we don't install, for instance, Photoshop on every machine. I've, you know, we've got, PixCore has grown a little bit. I've, you know, I've got over 100 Macs, you know, floating around in the, in the PixelCore. Yeah. Um, there is about eight copies of Photoshop. <laughs> you know, you know, and there's certain people who are allowed to have Photoshop, you know, that I'm going to pay whatever it is a month to put the Photoshop on their machine. Right. Every machine has Pixelmator. You know, you know, so, right. so, right. so that's already, you know, that's already gone down that path where, where we've made the decision that if you're most of the people who have a computer, I need to have something on there that you can edit your images. 
um, I, I need to be able to, you know, resize them and cut them and crop them and do, you know, and, and do some, some basic operations, composite some of the stuff together. Um, so I think that, you know, I think that stuff is already really undermined in some ways, you know, Photoshop's dominance where companies like mine who are, you know, run by someone who's died in the wool Photoshop user is not putting it on everything. Right. You know, and, and so I think that, um, so I think Pixelmator has a good chance. I think that affinity has a good chance. I think, you know, I think both of these are the, the heir apparents at the moment for, you know, some kind of jetting. I think that, that Photoshop, that Adobe did hedge its bets a little bit with light, with Lightroom, you know, you know, where I'm going to give you a bunch of tools, a lot of what a lot of people were using. Of course there's Photoshop elements, but you always feel like you're playing with like, yeah, yeah the toy version, you know, you know, you know, it just, it just never right. got over feeling like you're working with a toy version, you know, you know, and it's so the base model without power windows, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, I, you know, it's like, it's, I used to do, I used to do all these Photoshop shows, uh, you know, for tech TV and they said, why don't you do ones for Photoshop elements? And I'm like, I'd rather just do them for the people who pirated Photoshop, you know, you know, like, like, you know, I, yeah, I was like, I, like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to bother with the, you know, the Photoshop elements is like, I always feel like someone stumped off half of my hand every <laughs> Photoshop elements is for the people that couldn't figure out how to pirate Photoshop, right? So yeah, exactly. Is elements, right? <laughs> so, so anyway, so that's, that's all. So it's, it's, it's um, so I think that they're, they are, and I think this Adobe has to think about this. They have to think about how to get more aggressive about their business model and everything else. And they have, you know, I think that, but I think that this is a big deal for them because, um, you know, I don't think that they are, dominant in a lot of the places that they used to be. And I think that yeah. they have to figure out how to do that. And I don't think that their subscription model, I like the subscription model. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I like the fact that I can switch computers and just unregister from the other ones and register. Like I get onto somebody else's computer and I just need to run Photoshop. I install it and I just dump my other, my, my home computer knowing I'll go back to it later. And it works really well for me. I have two problems with the subscription system. I don't, I don't mind the price that much, but I have three computers that I use and it only allows you to use Photoshop on two <laughs> playing license and de-license and all this stuff. You've got to get another license. That's the deal. I know, but I don't want to. And then the other piece is I know I have access to the entire Adobe library now with the subscription. So I feel bad because I'm only using one or two apps in there. I don't feel like I'm getting my money right. because I'm only using Photoshop and maybe Premiere sometimes. And now I'm not even mm. that, using that anymore. I'm using Final Cut 10. So I feel like I'm not getting my money's worth because I have this garage full of tools that I could use, but I'm not using any of them, you know? So I don't know. I don't know. So Ron, or actually Aaron, I wanted to have you chime in on this. So you know, in the notes here, I put, I put, what about Pixelmator? We talked about Pixelmator a little bit, but the gist of my little bullet in there was the Adobe infrastructure into the digital imaging world is deep and wide. I mean, like me, for example, I, I grew up on Photoshop from version two, or version one, I think, you know, learning channels, learning layers, learning channel operations and all these different like ninja tricks that you can do to get the job done. So now, you know, fast forward to 2015, it's second nature for me to boot up Photoshop, make a quick title slate, boom, get out of there, throw it into Final Cut, do whatever I need to do. Is that root system too ingrained in our culture of the, the digital image creator to be unseated? And if so, how do we, how do we, if we're going to get more competition in that industry, does it take billions of dollars from an Apple or a Google? What do you think? I think apps like, uh, like Pixelmator and, and the one we're discussing now will certainly have that opportunity. But the thing that keeps going through my head the whole time of the conversation, what I was thinking too, and, and, and Steve beat me to it was when you asked him earlier, 
what am I going to go to in my line of work most of the time with photography? I just go into Lightroom. I mean, I actually don't even launch Photoshop all that often anymore because the type of editing I'm doing is so completely covered by the Lightroom tool set. When I'm doing things with video, uh, a lot of times uh, I'm capable of getting what pieces and parts I need done in Final Cut itself or with some other applications, but I'm touching Photoshop a lot less um, all the time. So it, I'm wondering if it's got more to do with unseating them as much as it is a shift in, in, in targeting different audiences and, and, and different tool sets altogether. Yeah. And I think a lot of photographers want just the simple roots and, and, you know, with Apple's new photos thing that's coming out, we'll see what that is. But, you know, I'm pissed because I'm an aperture guy. I love aperture. It's worked for me fantastically. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's going away. And, and, you know, I invested all that time in learning it. And I know that I'm going to have to do something else. But I think, yeah, the time is ripe for photographers like me and, and the way Aaron described where you want to spend a minimum time processing your images to get the maximum quality out of them and then get back out there shooting. You don't necessarily need to go all that deep. So you just want to have um, yeah. you know, a software that, that gives you that ability. And I love the idea of being able to catalog and that's what Aperture did, what Lightroom does. And I think that's kind of important as our digital archives grow exponentially, a way to be able to sort of take control of things, organize them, back them up in the easiest possible way. And, you know, so I think, yeah, it'd be great to see something come in to replace Aperture. All right. All right, guys. Um, I'm going to move on from this. Before we can jump into the Picks of the Week segment, I want to thank our next sponsor for this episode of TWIP, and that's our good friends over at lynda.com. It's already February, so what are you waiting for? It's time to invest in yourself this year and start learning something new over at lynda.com with a free 10-day trial. Now, Lynda is used by millions of people around the world, and they have over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design, and business, as well as software training like Excel, WordPress, and Photoshop. And all of their courses are taught by experts, and new courses are added to the site every single week. So whether you want to set new financial goals, invest in a new hobby, find a new job, or improve upon your current job skills, lynda.com has something for everyone. And you can sign up for a free 10-day trial today by visiting lynda.com slash twip, and you'll get unlimited access to every course on lynda.com. You'll get access to view tutorials on tablets and iPhone and Android. Android mobile devices. Plus, you'll get access to those new courses that they add every week. And some of the videos that I personally recommend are Foundations of Photography, Exposure and Composition. Also, be sure to check out The Practicing Photographer. Also, The Traveling Photographer series with Mr. David Hobby, aka The Strobist. Once again, invest in yourself. Sign up today for a free 10-day trial by visiting lynda.com twip. And you know what? Go ahead. I challenge you to learn something new in 2015. Once again, that's lynda.com slash twip. All right, let's jump into the picks of the week segment. You guys know the drill. You can pick anything to relate over to the photography or the twip audience as long as it is related somehow to photography. Ron Brinkman, I know you got a jet in a couple of minutes here. Tell us what your pick of the week is. Yeah, I actually just went ahead and uh, kind of dug into sort of what am I using these days on the uh, on the phone in terms of apps, uh, kind of photo related apps. And it's kind of interesting because I remember when we, you know, we're first doing this, we would always talk about uh, is this is this app available on uh, Android as well as iOS. And the nice thing is these days, it feels like almost everything you pick is going to be 
available on everything. So just real quick, I'm going to name off a few apps that uh, I've found that I like that just make, you know, not just regular camera apps, but sort of that do something interesting, kind of computational photography related kind of stuff, just sort mm -hmm. of pretty, pretty stuff. So let's see, uh, real quick, there is lens flare, which just gives some really nice lens flare kind of effects. You can just kind of pop it onto the, uh, on any photos you have, sort of neat. Oh, um, cool. There's one called Paper Camera. That's kind of one of the better sort of make it look like it's sort of sketchy paper kind of stuff. There's tons of apps like this, but I really like that one. Um, there's one called Tangled, T-A-N-G-L-E-D, or Tangled Effects, I guess it is. Oh, that's it's cool. Really trippy, beautiful kind of stuff. I mean, I've just put really bad photos into it, and you come out with the stuff that's, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. It's sort of neon, drawn on. It's just, it's really fascinating kind of stuff. Uh, and then the one that I think is absolutely sort of the best watercolor simulator is called oh, yeah. Waterlog. I have that one. R-L-O-G-U-E. And it's really beautiful. It really captures what a watercolor painting uh, looks I, like. I, I think I spent days when I first got it, like doing it to everything. Yeah, <laughs> it's, really, it's really something. <laughs> they, just, they just nailed it. And I just love that kind of stuff where, you know, it's really taking the camera beyond what a, you know, the traditional camera could do and really putting, uh, putting this extra stuff uh, that really the, the computer behind it brings to you. So those are kind of my picks. Yeah, those are killer. And it, and it begs the question, is that the future? I mean, we've been talking about this one singular app that does everything like a Photoshop replacement. Maybe the, uh, the replacement is in the components of the replacement. And it's I, I think that's right. I think, you know, we've been saying it for years, but this, you know, the computer plus the camera is really where we're at. There's so much stuff coming out that's just really scratch the surface of what, what cameras are going to be able to do. I really totally believe that. So yeah. there's great stuff coming. Love it. We'll, we'll stick all those links in the, uh, in the notes for this episode. Cool. All right. Uh, Steve, Simon, what's your pick of the week? I was excited when um, when I saw this uh, book was being re-released and it's uh, Bresson. Uh, let me just put this uh, cover up on the screen here so you can see it. And, um, you know, the decisive moments, uh, Cartier-Bresson, arguably, you know, one of the most influential photographers of, of all time. This is the picture that is often described as the decisive moment. And, you know, with all the technology where we're at today, it's still about, you know, going out in the world and being able to, you know, personalize uh, with the camera, you know, kind of what you see and show people kind of what is interesting to you. It's about the content. And this book is a classic and they've, they've finally uh, kind of re-released it. The original is very expensive. It's beyond what most people uh, can afford. Uh, definitely what, beyond what a photographer can afford. So it's nice. This book came out. It's, uh, it's $80. And I actually have a, a copy of it in front of me now. Oh, it's beautiful. very true to the original. It comes in a, a slip cover. And, um, you know, if you look at the Amazon reviews, you're going to see five stars and you're going to see two stars. Because the controversy is that a lot of people were complaining about the quality of the printing. And... Um, it's true. I mean, it's this, it, they use the old, Stidel is the company that arguably is, is producing the most beautiful photographic books today. 
and they, they try to sort of stay true to the original. And every original image is there. The cover is by Matisse. Uh, there's a lot we can glean from looking at these photographs and, and learn. But then there's this sort of caption book, and it gives a history of Cartier-Bresson, a history of the book, all these interesting facts that I didn't know about. And it's such a classic book that I think we could, um, in this uh, futuristic world that we're talking about all this stuff, we go back to this, we look at these images, and are reminded that it's really about, you know, the contents and, and whatever it is that we use to capture it, it doesn't matter, but it's capturing the, it that counts. So I'm, I'm, as a street photographer, I'm, I'm going back and being re-inspired by the work of Cartier-Bresson. Love book. it. Love it. Cool. We'll definitely link to that and I will purchase that. How much does that book cost? I think it's 80 bucks and okay. you know, it's, it's beautiful. And Stidel is very smart about uh, the quantity of books that they come out with. A lot of their books like, uh, uh, that they do have become like William Eggleston books. They do a lot of books. You know, they start out being kind of expensive, but then because there's a limited run, if you try and purchase it uh, once the print run is gone, the prices uh, go up astronomically. So they're almost an investment. As Supply well. and demand. Supply and demand. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, Steve. That's a perfect pick for for episode 400, no less. Cartier-Bresson. Perfect. Absolutely. All right, next up, Mr. Aaron Mailer. Aaron, what's your pick of the week for episode 400? My pick is uh, by no means a, a new product, and a lot of listeners are probably very well familiar with it already, but it just kind of came into my life for the uh, more recently. I finally made the switch uh, last year. I wouldn't say the switch, but added to my arsenal. Um, started going mirrorless mm -hmm. and uh, added the Panasonic GH4, which I... Uh, absolutely love partly for its size i was getting to the point where with all the traveling i'm doing a lot of the time i want to shoot when i'm out but i can't necessarily take my full frame camera with me all the time and like they say you know the camera you have so um the gh4 really attracted me for its 4k video and so on so downsizing physically in all ways at this point my camera bag weighs less than my 5d walk around lens did and wow. that's carrying all i want to carry as far as my gh4 equivalent lenses so on and so forth um, and with it, I switched to the, uh, to the Black Rapid strap, and, uh, and I went with the Metro strap. But one of the reasons I like this system, and, I, and I'll go ahead and um, you know, I'll share the same uh, window as you guys have. I don't know oh, if you're yeah. seeing that now. Yep. So the Metro is one of their smaller straps, uh, which goes well with a smaller camera body. But part of the reason I did it was not just the convenience of how it, it holds it at your hip. It's not hard on my shoulder. Uh, it's very easy to grab the camera when I use it, but have my both hands free most of the time. But prior to using straps years ago, I was uh, always very much a, uh, a wrist strap user. Mm. And with a much smaller camera body, I like being able to use a wrist strap again in those cases where I don't want the camera dangling or I'm in a crowd and I want it in my hand, you know, a little more secure. And the nice thing is, as you see in here, it's got this clip system on it, uh, this carabiner type of system for very quickly switching back and forth between the strap that's on my shoulder and the strap that's, you know, this little tiny hand strap I can put on. So I flip back and forth between the two easily. Uh, so to me, it's kind of a whole package. It, it's the black rapid strap, it's the wrist strap, but it's also that I'm using a much smaller camera these days. Love it, cool. So. And that's uh, for the Metro, it looks like it's 40 bucks, not bad. Yep, yep, not bad at all. Awesome, cool. All right, man, thanks, that's a perfect pick. And I, I also shoot the GH4, so I might have to look at that. I, I uh, use the Peak Design lens strap system for my cameras and it, uh, you know, I. I'm happy with it so far, but you know, it's like these, these cameras, like the camera strap and your cameras are like so intimate. It has to be like, has to work yep. for you perfectly or else 
it detracts from the shooting experience. So, so the funny thing is I bought this exactly when I bought the camera. So to me, the whole GH4 experience and the Black Rapid have kind of all gone together too. Yeah. All right. Uh, looks like Ron Brinkman has stuff to do because he's important. He has to take off. <laughs> <laughs> I must leave you all. Ron, Ron uh, we're almost at the end of the show. So before you go, why don't you tell folks where you want them to go to check out the stuff that you're working on? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I'm still on the Twitters. So just, just uh, track me down on Twitter is at uh, Ron Brinkman, R-O-N-B-R-I-N-K-M-A-N-N. Don't forget the last N. Yeah. And uh, yeah, anybody that's working on photo app related stuff, uh, ping me. I want to chat a little bit. And uh, it's great seeing you guys. It's been too long. It was. It has. It has. It was. Happy we'll 400th, Ron. We will yeah. be in touch. You'll be on Twip more. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for coming on at the last minute for this one. It's a. Uh, Good to see you. I have a tear in my eye, Ron Brinkman, back on the show. So, so go ahead, exit, go do your stuff, and we'll we'll continue with the show and end it in a couple minutes. Great. All right, take care, guys. All right, yeah. Alex Lindsay, yeah. what's your what's your pick of the week? So, um, I uh, my pick is I, I started experimenting with this app called Hydra. I don't know if you've seen Hydra. So, uh, and it, so it's basically what it does. Is you have your iPhone, and you can basically take. You, you hold it down and it'll take anywhere from 50 to 100 photos, you know, of, of that. And it creates a higher resolution image. So here's an example. Um, let me, uh, let's I'm having fun with the screen scare. photos. Jeez, it sounds like gigapixel on steroids. It is. It doesn't take that big a photo, but if you see, are you, are you seeing my screen here? Yes. Yes. You see it. So, so one of the things is if you look at this here, this is a shot, um, of, uh, St. St. Peter's and, uh, and one of the things is as we zoom in, you'll see that, you know, it gets soft. This is, this is taken at night, handheld. It has, you know, a certain look to it. Yep. If I go to the next photo beside it, you'll notice that it just looks a lot cleaner. Oh, so this geez. is still handheld. Yeah. You know, and, and the thing is, is that it is, it's not that it is, a hundred megapixels or something like that, but it is 25, you know, or, or whatever. And, and so, and, and what it does is it, it just makes a much, much better image, a much sharper image than yeah. what you're going to get. Now it doesn't do certain things. People complain about it. It doesn't, if, you know, it does good still shots. If things are moving, if you're moving, if people are moving, you get all kinds of arrays and things because it's taking lots of photos and mixing them together. But if you're taking a picture of a great sunset or a, or something where there's not a lot of moving parts or not moving very much, um, I just find if you're out there with your iPhone and you want to take something, I, I've been testing it a lot. I tested it all through Rome uh, last week and just really, uh, really enjoyed the results. Again, especially you put it on a tripod and it, it seems to know that it's on a tripod and it goes to 100 photos and it just in incredible amounts of detail um, in a way that you just can't get with your, your phone. So, crazy. Uh, you know, for the price, I don't know, it's the price of a coffee or something. You know, it's, it's definitely worth having on your phone and playing with it. What's, it, what's this app called again? Uh, this is Hydra, and then every time, and, and here's the worst part: is is is, is if you if you've done any of the Avengers stuff, and everything else. I was else, about to say time, that's the evil organization. Every time, every time you take a good photo with it, you you just in the back of your head somewhere just goes. Hail Hydra. <laughs> so, so anyway, because they're not all great, but when they're great, you look at it, you're like, Hail Hydra. That's how um, Alex's mind works. Hail yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway. Um, cool. anyway, so that's, that's, awesome. it's, it's, yep. All right. That's your pick of the week? That's my pick of the week. All right. Release the screen back to me and I will share my pick of the week. Mine is actually, uh, do I have it up here? 
I believe. No, I took it down. Oh, yes, I did. Wait. No, I took it down because it is hard to show on the screen. So my pick of the week is this newest toy. And it's, it, you know, it kind of has nothing to do with photography, um, but it kind of does. And it's this thing. Have you guys ever seen one of these? It's called a Kindle. Are you familiar with them? Oh, I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> so this, I, just got, I just got this one um, yesterday, actually. I had, a, I had an older Kindle, but I just got this one. This is the new Kindle Voyage. And... I got to tell you, on this thing, I'm just like over the just the past 24 hours, I've been immersed in the books on this. Now I have an iPad Mini, which I love, and I use it every day. I'm like watching movies on it. I'm doing my numbers documents. I'm planning TWIP episodes. Everything on the iPad Mini, I love it. This thing is single purpose. It's a droid that you know, it's like a robot that only does one thing, and it's to make the reading experience better. That's it. So it's kind of comforting to have a device that all it does and only thing it wants to do is allow you to read better. That's it. And that's, it's a one trick pony, but it does that one trick very well. So I love it. It's called the Kindle, the Kindle Voyage. And I think it's like, it's expensive for this little piece of plastic. It's like $280 or something. But if you read a lot, <laughs> like I do, <laughs> I've heard of this thing called reading. I, I think I might pick it up, you know, words, words, Interesting. I've heard of it. Alex, yeah. start, start with hooked on phonics. You know, that'll get I you like, started. <laughs> this, is, this week we've been talking about, I like picture books. I like <laughs> pictures. pictures are fun. What's these word things? <laughs> no, I love it though. It's uh, it's really cool. I'm, I'm really happy with it. And the cool thing about it is because I travel like lately, I've been traveling a lot, a lot this thing goes with me and it's on the plane. It will last two weeks easy on one charge, you know, right. so like my iPad, I watch a couple movies and you know, I'm, I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel for some power. This thing, you know, granted I'm not watching movies on it, but I'm reading and I don't have to worry about charging it ever. Like I go on a right. trip. I don't have to worry about it. I get in the bed in the hotel, I'm reading it, put it away. I'm on the plane the next day. I'm reading it. Doesn't care. You know, it's it's all good. And it syncs, obviously, because it's Amazon. So it syncs up to their cloud. And if I come back later and launch the Kindle app on my iPad, it goes to the right location and the right page. And or I can watch, nice. read my books on my phone or whatever. So it's cool. It's a cool experience. I'm excited about it, if you can't tell. Uh, <laughs> so that, that's the Kindle Voyage. All right, guys, we are at the end of another episode of TWIP. We went about 90 minutes or so. I'm, I thought we might go longer, but this is, this is good. So, Steve, I want to throw it to you first. We're yes. going to go to keep up with the new Steve Simon, the street yes. photographer, New York street photographer, Steve Simon. That's right. Well, you know, I've been talking about uh, my blog for the longest time. Well, guess what? It's finally here. The finally! photographer what? blog has landed. <laughs> now, <laughs> it's a work in progress, but you know, I've been wanting to do this for a very long time. So it's up, and uh, so I would encourage people to come. I'm going to be updating it regularly. This is my my promise. This was, you know, my 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 mission that we, you know, for people to come back. Obviously, I've got to keep it going. Yep. And I've got a couple of workshops coming up in New York City uh, in May and June. I did my inaugural uh, New York City street workshop in November. It was great success. It was just a lot of fun. So you can find out more about it uh, on the blog. And Linda, one of your sponsors, I've got a street photography course uh, with them. And uh, hopefully I'll be doing uh, more stuff with them as well. So really? that's where I'm at right now. 
Well, Steve, I got to congratulate you because I remember <laughs> I remember teasing you four years ago. I think it was four years ago about you. Every time you came on, you say, yeah, my site's about to launch. I know, I know, I know. Well, it's actually there finally, so you guys can uh, check it out. Awesome, man. Cool. Congratulations. And welcome Thanks. back. Finally, we get to check. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. All right. Cool. Are we gonna have to wait for episode eight hundred to be back again? Or? No, no, you will be on. You you haven't heard the last of Steve Simon. All right, <laughs> I'd like to hear. All right, Aaron Mailer, what about you? Where can people go to see some of the cool stuff you got cooking? So I'm probably in the opposite situation that Steve finally has his blog launched. And the blog <laughs> is pretty much just got cobwebs all over it a lot of the time. So I need to get my butt back in gear, but. Uh, but it does link to a lot of my photography and so on. So my blog is halfbreast.com, H-A-L-F-B-R-E-S-S, just like you half-breast your camera, shutter. And, um, but I'm on Twitter probably more than just about anything. So uh, at halfpress and follow me there. And my tweets, they cover photography and all here and there as well. But uh, there's also just a constant flow of technology and, and, and other things in my life too. So it, it's, it's going to cover a lot of different areas. I love it. It sounds like you, you, you're the fire behind your drone passion has waned a little bit, has it? Or are you still hot on that stuff? I, I built another one uh, just a few months ago, actually. Oh, and you're building so, those, you're like octocopters, right? You're not just doing no, no, actually, I went the opposite direction. I actually scaled down on this one. Much like my GH4, I actually built a smaller drone because I wanted oh, cool. to think around that area again as well. So not Very tiny, but, uh, but you know, not as big as the, the Y6 that I was flying before. So. Love it. Love it. Well, welcome back, man. It's a pleasure to have you on again. And, you know, this, like I said with Steve Simon, that you will not, this is not the last you'll hear of Aaron Mailer. On <laughs> man, I've been a good thing, but I appreciate the invite. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. Last but not least on the list there, Godfather, Mr. Alex Lindsay. What's going on? But with, with, uh, I, I think Alex Lindsay at yeah, there's nothing like you're like nebulous. <laughs> well, for a long time, you know, up until recently, I wasn't allowed to talk about anything I did, so I just had to just kind of disappear. So, so I uh, I am warming back up, and anyway, so so I'm working on that. But really, Alex Alex Lindsay uh, on Twitter is fine. I mean, that you'll you'll there's some photography there. A lot of times, there's me complaining about some airline or hotel. <laughs> or so it's. So it's not really a photography-related podcast or, or, or blog, but uh, but if you want to listen to me kibitz, um, you know, Alex Lindsay uh, on Twitter is probably the best place to be. Hey, Twitter, Twitter move, moves mountains when you're a disgruntled traveler, I got to say. Right? It is very useful. That's all I got to say. There's, there's a lot of movement can happen quickly. Yep, especially if you've, you've got a one or two followers there, you know, yep. send out a tweet and stuff happens. Say. Cool. All right, guys. Um, that's it. So to the listeners, you know the deal. Be sure to visit our website to see this episode and all of our other episodes over at thisweekinphoto.com. My name is Frederick Van Johnson for episode number 400. And with that, for the 400th time, it's time to take that lens cap off. Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.